This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture and I'm Dashran Johan. So today we're going to be talking all about the 2020 Tokyo Olympics which was originally scheduled to take place between the 24th of July and the 9th of August this year. However, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced the International Olympic Committee and the Japanese government to reschedule the games to the summer of 2021. But what exactly is the impact of this postponement? So to take a deep dive into the topic with me, I have on the line a sports lawyer and member of the Malaysian Bar, Richard Wee. Hello, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Dash. Good afternoon to you too, man. All right, let's get right into it, yeah? So uh, let's start by talking about what exactly went down. Because initially, the Japanese government was hesitant to postpone the event, but eventually they gave in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, on this area, Dash, I must say it's a very good question. Um, I think there's a few factors, you know, Dash. Uh, I would dare say it's a three factors, quickly. First is, of course, at the time when they were deciding in the early part of 2020, uh, the Tokyo uh, organizers, they were unsure of the data of uh, the COVID-19. Very similar to Malaysia, as you know, we... We didn't even close our borders until very much later because the data was insufficient. And to simply close your border at the time would have been perilous to our economy at the time uh, for Malaysia. Similarly to Japan, to simply declare uh, the uh, Tokyo Olympics to be postponed at the time in January, February, March was uh, premature for them. That's what they thought then. Of course, now we have the benefit of hindsight. We, should, we can say should have, could have, but number two uh, was the... Uh, impact of the commercial engagement uh, by the organizers. They have already committed themselves to billions and billions of US dollars of worth of contract, and it would have been uh, disastrous to just simply uh, cancel or postpone the tournament. So behind the scene, I was uh, made to, to be aware that um, uh, there were massive negotiation going on between the Olympic Council in uh, uh, Lausanne in uh, Switzerland and our Tokyo organizers, and all the sponsors and their corporate uh, partners. The third one, of course, is politics, uh, internal politics in Japan. Um, they, of course, want to have that uh, Olympic. They've been gearing it for years. They've been telling the uh, uh, Tokyo uh, citizens that, look, we are, we are getting into the Olympics. It's a matter of pride uh, mm-hmm. for the Japanese. And I, I think any nation, uh, if you are... Uh, chosen to uh, host an event as large as uh, the Olympics, you'll be super proud. So for the uh, people of Japan, I think it was a matter of uh, political and also a matter of pride. So this combination of three uh, caused the hesitance, as what you said. But something we have to keep in mind is that the International Olympic Committee, which is the IOC, and the Japanese government announced that the 2020 Summer Olympics and Paralympics would be, and I quote, rescheduled to a date beyond 2020, but not later than summer of 2021. So what is the significance of that particular choice of words? Ah, again, good question. This is actually a sports law issue. Now, the, the answer is simple. Uh, if, if, if I just summarize it, it's actually down to the issue of uh, the qualification for the 2024 Olympics. 
Now, if if the 2020 Olympics go beyond 2021, it will um, uh, impede the development of the 2024 Olympics. Mm. And uh, the the qualifying tournaments mostly start immediately after the expiration of one Olympic. So if we had the Olympic this year, um, you will see that the qualifying tournaments for the 2024 Olympics would start fairly immediately, as early as September, October this year. Don't be surprised. And don't forget, we have a huge, huge sporting community with right. lots and lots of sports uh, to qualify, uh, play for. So uh, that is the, in summary, uh, I think that is one of the reasons uh, for the for the uh, st- st- statement. Of course, there are other reasons. There are impact on commercialization. Some contracts and sponsorship expires in 2020. The new contract starts in 2020, say September. Uh, so now that the Olympics is pushed to 2021, the IOC finds a situation where they, in certain situation, they mm-hmm. may have an overlapping uh, sponsorship. Uh, that that is of course more of a commercial reason, not a sports law reason. Very right. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, Ooh, that's yeah. thought about it, all these problems. Yeah. It is, and and I want to get into that sort of commercial and business sponsorship aspect of it later on. But going back to this whole cancellation or postponement, you know, since the Olympics inception in 1896, right? Uh, this marks only the fourth time in history the Olympic has gotten stopped by outside forces. World War One and Two caused three Olympic Games to be cancelled in the past. Uh, but this is the first time in history it's been postponed. Can you walk us through the differences in impact between the two situations? And by these two situations, I mean, you know, being cancelled altogether because of war versus what we have right now. Mm. To, to, to try and uh, put things in perspective, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind, Dash, I'm going to race a very popular sports tournament in Malaysia, which every single uh, uh, Malaysian know about this tournament. It's called the English Football Premier League. Right? Right. So uh, I think uh, many, many, many Liverpool fans just can't wait to win the title after so long. <laughs> so they have been pushing for the tournament to go on. But there have been comments that tournament can either be their three choices, Either you declare the tournament cancelled, null and void. That means totally no winner, nothing. Uh, and therefore, ne- the next tournament in, in September, when we start the league again, we start all over again. Secondly is to uh, postpone the tournament to another date. Uh, so we'll try to push it as long as possible and restart the tournament. The third one is to stop the tournament now, but declare a winner now. Uh, we right. see it happening in some of the leagues in, in Europe. So... These okay. are three options open to any organizer. Okay. Um, so the Olympics, they choose a second option. Uh, they did not want to cancel like what happened, as you correctly pointed out, the uh, war-torn uh, Olympics, mm-hmm. uh, but they choose to postpone it instead. Now, the impact of that, of course, will be um, uh, to allow this generation of athletes uh, the opportunity to still win the Olympics, take part in the Olympics, be part of the Olympics, uh, albeit one year later. So uh, in terms of the sporting element, it allows uh, an up-and-coming athlete who is now maybe 28 years old, 29 years old, one last chance to go to the Olympic as compared to cancelling it and he or she will never be able to take part anymore because you'll be too uh, too old, uh, too, too elderly to take part. You know, As you know, most of the 
uh, top athletes is between the age of 18 to 29 and 30 years old. Uh, not many athletes are like our uh, legendary uh, Charlene Zukifli, you know, mm-hmm. who still win uh, gold medals uh, despite she's well into the 20th, 30th year of her career, you know. Yeah. So that is one sporting element to postpone it, to allow the, uh, the opportunity to do that. Secondly, is what you said earlier about the issue of commercial, you want to talk about it more. Uh, there's already uh, uh, billions and billions of US dollars uh, committed and invested into the league, uh, into the Olympic tournament. So it would have been a commercial disaster uh, to cancel it totally. And I think right. IOC would have been sued left, right, and center. You know, if, if they they allow that. And, and thirdly, uh, the the big difference between what happened in World War Two and World War One and here is that mm-hmm. at the time when the war was happening, uh, people were unsure how long the war will go. World right. War II, for example, went on for five years. Can you imagine? We've been stuck at home for two months, the last two, three months. Uh, people all over the world, particularly Europe uh, and, and Asia, yeah. from, Japan was conquering every single uh, country from Japan all the way to Malaya, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we had war for five years at the time, five long years. Can you imagine that? It makes sense at the time to postpone uh, the 1940 and 44 Olympics. Uh, and in fact, they didn't postpone it, they cancelled it. Cancelled it also, yeah. Right, yes. So this one, uh, while I'm not looking down on the pandemic, is a serious uh, human infamy. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we are living through a very perilous moment. Uh, it could be the, uh, if you're not careful, this could be the uh, the end game for all of us, you know, if you're not careful, yeah. But uh, with the human technology and human resilience, we're able to fight back. So it makes sense to, to, to know that the humanity will fight back and, and, and recover and be resilient, that the Olympics uh, can still go on. Uh, and even the, no, the soccer leagues, the football leagues, all they can still go on, but take time. Right. Everyone time, you know. So that, I think, uh, was the uh, biggest difference between uh, what happened in the, the moments of war and now, uh, simply because it's something we can control. We are able to uh, manage. I wouldn't be surprised next year, Dash, if if things still uh, con- go on like this, that uh, the Tokyo Olympics may have a empty stadium. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That's, that's interesting. So we will we will take a deeper dive into all these different aspects in a bit, but we do need to take a quick break. Today, I'm speaking to sports lawyer Richard Wee on the impact of the postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. You're listening to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture. We'll be back after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture. I'm Dashran Johan and on the phone with me to discuss the impact of the postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics is Richard Wee. Um, Before the break, we talked about the few times the Summer Olympics was cancelled in the past and how the situation is drastically different this time around. Now let's, uh, you know, go deeper into the topic and let's start with the athletes, right? So what happens to the athletes? What happens to the athletes who have already qualified for the Olympics? Um, Fantastic question, Dash. That is one of the biggest challenge now. Okay. Um, from the legal point of view, um, uh, obviously the athletes which has qualified, 
have qualified. Uh, and the fact that the Olympic has been postponed, not cancelled, postponed, mm-hmm. so which means the qualifying right still remains. Had it been cancelled, then the qualifying right would have lapsed. You can't qualify to something which doesn't exist, right? So the fact that it's been postponed, if I'm an athlete, I fought and uh, won the ticket to, to, to uh, be a part of the Olympics in 2020, that ticket is still uh, in action. Basically, very e- it's still effective, right? Right. Um, but the, many people are unaware that between the times of December when uh, the COVID first appeared in Wuhan, um, between the times of December until now, there's supposed to be a series of uh, qualifying tournaments. Well, the Olympics is just around the corner. The, the last six months, there have been many, many qualifying tournaments, uh, final tournaments for mm. you to, to, to get into the, the Olympics. That's the interesting thing, right? Okay, because like you said, it's pretty straightforward if the athletes have already qualified, right? Because if they have already booked the ticket, the Olympics is postponed, that ticket is carried forward to the next year or whenever they resume the competition, right? So what about people who are on the verge of qualifying? So what I mean by this is uh, because the Olympics is a little bit complex in the sense that different sports have different qualifying processes. So we obviously cannot talk about every single sport, but let's so let's focus on let's say badminton, for example, which is a highly celebrated sport in Malaysia. Now I'm looking at the the list of badminton athletes, Malaysian badminton athletes who are ranked pretty high uh, in the BWF ranking. So we have athletes like, for example, Li uh, Zetia, who is ranked 10th in the world in men's singles. In mixed doubles, we have Chan Ping Soon and Go Liu Ying, who is 7th. Uh, you have also another two pairs who are 11th and 12th. Can you explain how these athletes, when it comes to the world of badminton, how do they qualify for the Olympics? And looking at the ranks, they are pretty high up. So what happens to these athletes who are on the verge of qualifying? Let's take it step by step. Number okay. one is um, what happened to the athletes which has already qualified. So I've, I've already answered that, that yes. they will remain qualified. Okay. For the athletes who have not qualified, they still have to go through the qualifying process. Oh. And uh, specifically for badminton, they have a very peculiar uh, qualifying tournament. Um, in the sense that other than being a top-ranking player, they have a continental qualifying system. So every continent has to be represented. Uh, basically, the Olympics does not want to have a situation where all the badminton players are from Africa, for example. Okay. Right? Uh, but we all know that in the world of badminton, the two most dominating uh, continents are Europe and Asia, Asia. particularly Asia. Right. Asia itself have uh, six, seven very, very powerful badminton nations, China, mm-hmm. Japan, Korea, of course, our own Malaysia, Indonesia, Indonesia. Yeah. Thailand, Taiwan. India yeah. has been rising again from days of Prakash Padukone. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have some really top world champions, world challenging champions from right. India. Uh, and of course, in, in Europe, we have uh, uh, Denmark and uh, England to some extent. Yeah. Uh, so, they don't want a situation where it's a Denmark versus a China final, you know. So they want to have every continent represented. Yeah. So that's the first situation. So you may have a situation where a player is a top of the 
uh, right on top top 20 of the, the ranking. But uh, that player or the team, the mixed double teams or the doubles team, is unable to qualify. So with all the badminton tournaments cancelled the last few months, we are unaware yet who will qualify for next year's tournament. Okay. So I, that's why while the Olympics is postponed to next year in 2021, I, I think it's in August if I, I stand corrected um, uh, on the date of the 2021 Olympics. But the qualifying tournament must be held before that. So there's not much time, you know. There's not much yeah. time. Yeah. So then the other issue is that um, some tournaments, but badminton don't have this problem. Some mm-hmm. tournaments are age group tournaments. Yes. Uh, like like football, for example, is an age group tournament. So um, uh, you may have a situation where some players who qualified to play, but by next year, he or she is above that age. So uh, I, I must confess, I have not been able to confirm yes or no, whether that that athlete can or cannot take part next year. I'm told that they still can take part, but I've not been able to ascertain that, you know. So uh, uh, that is another challenge. So <laughs> to throw the, uh, another uh, issue into, the, into, the, into the, our bowl of questions, yeah. uh, we have that problem to dash. Uh, so to, <clears throat> to short, long story short, to answer your question, um, for our badminton players, they need to qualify for the uh, Olympics through qualifying tournaments, which unfortunately has been postponed. Mm. So uh, everything now uh, boils down to whether or not we have sufficient time to hold the qualifying tournaments. Uh, if not, if they don't have the qualifying or if there's not enough time to have a qualifying tournament, then specifically for badminton, uh, I'm sure the World Badminton Federation would have to come up with a formula to, to ensure that their players qualify. Another sort of curveball this COVID-19 is going to throw is that different lockdown schedules in different countries, right? So some athletes will have more freedom to train than others. For example, in certain parts of Europe and US, the whole lockdown is still fairly loose and inconsistent compared to some Asian countries, right? Mm. So, So is it then fair that the athletes who have yet to have their chance to qualify might be at a disadvantage after weeks or perhaps months of quarantine. So, uh, how do we maneuver around that issue? Well, um, one thing is for sure. Um, certainly, there will be an imbalance uh, focus and imbalance preparation for the tournament, uh, okay. the qualifying tournament. And in fact, even the tournament itself in 2021, there will be an imbalance preparation. Um, so let's say if you are now an athlete in China, where most of uh, the Chinese uh, provinces are out, out of lockdown, you can train ready. Train ready. Uh, mm-hmm. As you can see, if, you know, if I'm a badminton player living in Wuhan, I'm mm-hmm. now training. Wuhan is open again. So, but if I'm a badminton player stuck in Malaysia, I can't train. I can only train at home. Unfortunately, there will be an imbalance of uh, preparation. Somebody will be more prepared than the other. But having said that, um, uh, Dash, I would say that even no COVID uh, situation, all athletes go through that anyway. Mm. You know, there will be always a situation where some athletes are far more prepared than the other. I, I'm not justifying the imbalanceness, but I'm saying that this is a normal occurrence and it is for the National uh, Association to manage it. Okay, there might also be certain 
unorthodox methods of qualifications during this period as uh, nations and the Olympic Committee and all, they try to maneuver the situation. So certain things might be unusual. The qualifying process of certain sports might be not what the athletes are used to. Because of all this, do you foresee a lot of disputes in the next few months from athletes towards their national governing bodies? Um, unknown to people around Malaysia, mm-hmm. sports law dispute happens all the time in the world. Um, okay. To the point where uh, I think sports is the one of the few uh, industry to have our own dedicated uh, court uh, which is, of course, located in Switzerland. It's called okay. the Court of Arbitration for Sports. But for the next uh, 12 months leading, or 14 months leading for the next Olympics, uh, I, I foresee there will be a lot of complaint. Uh, you know, some athletes uh, would have been uh, super prepared for the qualifying tournament, say, last February, just two months ago, three months ago, but was not able to take part and then suddenly find herself or himself forced to take part in the tournament, say, next year in January, February. So, and the athlete, as what you said, had no time to prepare because of the right. lockdown. Mm. So it would not be fair. And then they may raise this. You know, they may raise this. The, the coaches, the officials, they may raise this as a dispute issue. And they may even take it up uh, in arbitration if they feel that it is an unfair, unjust um, uh, process of qualifying. I wouldn't be surprised. But to say that there will be a lot of uh, disputes, um, hard to say, Dash, hard to say. Um, I think if the International Olympic Council and the International Federations of every single sport, if they manage it well, then maybe they can lessen the disputes. Okay, I'd also like to touch on something very interesting you brought up when we were having a quick chat before we went on air, and that is athletes doping during off-season and how this is affected by the postponement of the Olympics. Uh, can you walk us through this situation? Uh, in Malaysia, our principal anti-doping agency is called ADAMAS. Okay. Uh, anti-doping agency of Malaysia. Then uh, the other, uh, the, the, of course, the governing body is called WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency based in Canada. Uh, they are huge. They're all over the world. Of course, they're supported by uh, United Nations. Every country contributes towards WADA's costs. Now, uh, one of the fundamental uh, uh, purpose of WADA is to conduct anti-doping tests. And the classic way to do an anti-doping test is during a tournament. So if you are playing uh, cricket, for example, right after the game, you'll be uh, asked to go into an anti-doping room they will test uh, by asking you to give a uh, urine sample uh, and then they will test accordingly to con- uh, confirm whether you are tested positive or negative. And of course, this is the one time you want to be negative. You don't want to be positive. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then that's during tournament. Then outside the tournament, uh, athletes are tested based on um, uh, their whereabouts. So let's say like you dash, you are a uh, a, a national athlete for a, a particular game, you must inform uh, in Malaysia, Adamas, your whereabouts. It, in, in fact, it is in the rules of WADA. This is sports law. So, for example, uh, let's say you are living in uh, um, Ipoh, 
So you must inform the uh, anti-doping agency that you are living in Ipoh, and they will come and test you. And you not don't be surprised in the middle of the night. Uh, I, I don't think they're so draconian, but <laughs> I just, I'm just giving you a very extreme example. Right. Don't be surprised the anti-doping agency officer knock on your door in the middle of the night and ask you to give a urine sample. I mean, at the end of the day, all athletes are human beings. They need a time off. And that's why you see uh, that people take it for granted, the phrase off-season, on-season, uh, out of competition, non-competition. So people, oh yeah, you know, the Premier League is uh, ended, so we have summer break. So Blackburn Rovers and Nottingham Forest, they're on a break, summer break, you know. Uh, so we take it as like a, a, an occurrence. But in the eyes of the law, for sports law, that is out of competition. So when it's out of competition, then normally uh, anti-doping agency don't catch up, don't come and catch out you, uh, mm-hmm. so that the athletes have some sense of freedom. Uh, but uh, there are some some athletes, of course, they are tested uh, 24 hours, 365 days. Uh, you know, weightlifting is a classic one. You know, they, mm-hmm. they can be tested anytime. So now, what happens? because of the postponement of the Olympics? what? How does that impact it? Yeah, well, that's a really good uh, point because now yeah. at the moment, we are neither out of competition or in competition, neither here nor there, right? right. Uh, so like, for example, if I'm an athlete, I, the athlete will say, I am still in competition, even though there is no competition. So therefore, the athlete can be tested. Uh, but how do you test an athlete when the anti-doping officer herself or himself cannot travel to your home or your training ground. So does that mean that the athlete can consume as much drugs as possible now? And we've seen the scandal in Russia uh, where uh, before the Rio Olympics, there was a massive scandal of uh, uh, um, what institutionalized doping system, right? So would it mean for some of this... Uh, uh, association who are being cheeky that they mm-hmm. now uh, take advantage of this and then tell the athletes, yeah, let's, you know, take more <laughs> substance now. But I would think that if I'm the World Anti-Doping Agency officer, uh, all athletes will still be tested, even though you are unable to take part in a competition because the anti-doping agency is always, you know, you must be careful, they lean towards uh, being alert, safe, don't simply consume, etc., etc. Don't be surprised, they're still tested. Okay, so what we've talked about till now is a, a center around the athletes, right? What they are going through, uh, what uh, troubles the, in terms of qualifying processes and dispute. But there's this whole other aspect to the postponement that I feel it may not be highlighted as much. And that, that has got to do with basically the contracts that have been signed by sponsors and TV networks. So will these contracts, some of it, you know, worth millions and millions of dollars, uh, just be able to carry forward to next year? I am guessing it may not be as simple as that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? To summarize it, uh, the contracts that has been executed and invested in 2020 will definitely proceed to 2021. Or, you, or else it would not be fair to the commercial partners who have invested quite a bit. But, of course, there will be some compensation involved. Mm. And already we read um, the Tokyo gov- uh, the Japanese government and, uh, and the Tokyo organizers, 
plus the IOC, are preparing a few hundred million uh, in uh, US dollars uh, in preparation of a potential compensation uh, for all these incidents. Um, and uh, as I told you earlier, there may be some situation, unique situations, which I am not aware of, but I know it has uh, the possibility of occurring, is that some commercial contracts expire at this Olympic. And the organizers, and of course, don't forget, the next Olympics is in Paris. Mm. So the Paris organizer would have already signed some contract, for example, from 2020 after of Tokyo. For the next uh, 13, 14 months, we will actually have an overlap of two different <laughs> sponsors uh, uh, actively promoting themselves at the same time. To go even deeper into it, some have said that there are going to be plenty of complications when it comes to insurance companies and how they will handle the, the, the cancellation of the events. Because to insurance companies, there are, there's going to be a difference between if an event is just cancelled, let's say if the Tokyo Olympics uh, 2020 was just cancelled, then it, it's probably written in their clause that they just have to cover the losses. But what happens in situations like this when it's not a cancellation but a postponement? Mm. I am pretty sure that knowing insurance, they would have calculated the risk if the tournament is postponed even though it would have been very, very minute when they entered into the agreement before that. Um, but also, most insurance uh, agreements would have certain um, uh, force majeure clauses, a very popular phrase the last three months. I think everybody in the world became expert in force majeure the last three months. So force majeure is any intervening factors which can cause the contract to be cancelled, right? So, uh, and, but that depends on whether the clause has been drafted into the contract. Uh, so, okay. one classic force majeure is where there is a, a unexpected uh, nature product, uh, or event like a volcano or a tsunami, and that caused the tournament to be cancelled. So, parties then can cancel the, 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 the contract and then compensate each other, etc. etc. Uh, if uh, there is such a clause in the, in the force majeure clause in the, in the insurance agreement. They will trigger it, and usually they would have prescribed a way on how to compensate, uh, which compensate this, compensate that, can or cannot, you know, uh, and, and that will take some time to calculate. Okay, so we are running slightly out of time here, but before I let you go, right, I want to get your thoughts on this one thing. So COVID nineteen will most likely still be a part of us next year. So I guess it, you know, all this really depends on when the vaccine will be ready. And you know, some people say it'll take up to another 14 to 18 months. And then once the vaccine is ready, then only it can be mass produced to be distributed all over the world. We are long ways away from COVID-19 leaving us permanently. So will the athletes and spectators then, will they be legally assuming the risk of contracting COVID-19 by participating or attending next year's Tokyo Olympics? Mm. What will the International Olympic Committee and the Japanese government have to do to maneuver around this? So I was actually pondering about this um, question when you sent to me. Um, Again, my style is when you're not really sure what is going to happen, let's go back to basics. So in the normal situation, I think many people are unaware. Just because 
for example, Lee Chong Wei qualifies to the Olympic, it doesn't mean he can just jump into the plane, fly there and take part straight away. Uh, there are lots of paperwork that he has to take part. One of the things is that he has to sign an agreement with the Olympic Council and the organizer. And in the agreement, uh, one of the clauses uh, normally there is to behave yourself and to maintain some sort of safety and security. So, of course, uh, there is an element of self-preservation where the Olympic Council will say, look, I'll try to take care of you, but you have to be careful yourself. Lah. Don't be reckless here and there, you know. So, uh, that, that kind of, uh, you know, balancing. Right. So, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, because I, I'm not in the IOC and I don't dare to speak on behalf of the legal counsel of IOC. They probably know better than me. Uh, but I would not be surprised that behind the scene, they may have to review or revisit or reconsider the agreement, especially with the agreements already signed with the qualified athlete. You know, if if the qualified athlete already signed, they may have to revisit and add that clause in. That's what you say, that if you take part, you are on your own. Uh, don't blame me if you cannot COVID-19. Would it be the same for the audiences as well, the people who are buying tickets to come and watch? Yeah, I would not be surprised that in a ticket uh, foil, when they sell a ticket to you, it's maintained that, that you attend at your own risk. I wouldn't okay. be surprised, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Olympic Council, uh, they are very well known for taking all the relevant precautions, security and whatnot. As you know, for a long time, since the infamous 72 Olympics, fear of terrorism hovers on the, uh, on the Olympics. So the security aspects of uh, the Olympics are very tight. Um, so I would not be surprised that now, other than uh, security elements, they may have to add in medical and health uh, security also into it, which, should, <laughs> which will make the Olympic even more expensive to organize uh, in the future. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, all of us are looking forward to seeing how the events unfold in the next couple of months. Thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. I've been speaking to Richard B, sports lawyer and a member of the Malaysian Bar on the 2020 Tokyo Olympics that has been postponed to 2021 and the impact this has on the athletes, clients, uh, insurance companies, sponsors, and the audiences who will be attending as well. So if you missed any part of this conversation or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can check out our podcast on the BFM app, on bfm.my or on Spotify. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.